Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Bruce Peterson. Thanks for being on the show, Bruce. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, honored to have you on the show. Bruce, National Apartment Association Rental Owner of the Year, 2017 Think Multifamilies Investor of the Year. In 20, was it 2019 you released your book? Was that last year? No, it came out in May of this year. Came out in May, so brand new. Awesome. He just released a book, and he's going to tell us about his book, and, and we're going to go over some things of why this book's going to be important in your syndication business and, and getting started in this business as well. Bruce, give us a little more background on your history and syndication and maybe even why syndication was the path for you. So my background, I'm a college dropout. I was a retail guy for almost 20 years and realized this sucks. So I quit doing that. <laughs> you know, I invested my money wisely, saved my money all along the way. Then I found a mentor that taught me how to invest in real estate because I thought, well, that might be a next logical step for me is try to figure something else out other than retail. So luckily, I did find a good mentor, somebody that had a lot of experience. And I listened to him is what it boiled down to. So I went straight into syndication. I never did a single family rent home. I never bought my own apartment complex. Everything I've ever done has been a syndication. Again, because I listened to my mentor, the people around me that knew how to do something I didn't know how to do, but they convinced me that, look, you have the skill set because you've led people your whole life. Piece of cake there. You communicate well, you have money, and you have time. So don't go buy two or three single family rent homes, pay them off, and live on that cash flow. You need to step your game up a little bigger. So I listened. My first deal was a 48 unit because, again, they said, don't start with a five unit like everybody wants to or a 12 unit to learn. Go as big as you can because if you get over 40 units, rule of thumb, you can afford somebody to work for you as well at the property. It's like, yeah, that makes sense because I didn't want to buy myself a job. So that's kind of how I got started, syndicated everything. We've done 1,100 units plus now. We've been doing it for about eight years. Can you give us just a sentence or two on finding that mentor? I know a lot of people listening are looking for that individual. So I just started doing some Google searching. I, first of all, I reached out to my personal network, you know, just friends and family. Hey, who do you know that invests in real estate that would be willing to, I'll pay them. Well, I just need somebody to teach me how to do it because I know this is not like buying a $10 stock. If I screw this up, this could be really, really expensive. Nobody I knew knew anybody that could help me. I had a few real estate agent friends, but they were selling retail homes to families, right? So that couldn't help me. So I just did a Google search and typed in, no, I didn't say multifamily. I said real estate mentor, Central Texas, which is where I am. I looked at a couple of different websites and talked to a couple of different people. And I found a woman that was a multifamily broker. She was actually a buyer's agent, which is kind of rare, but she had been a regional manager for a lot of her years too. And now she had a brokerage license. So I kind of fell in with her and just listened to her every day on everything because I was smart enough to know that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. That was probably a key right there, wasn't it? I mean, just understanding that I need some help and not thinking you know it all already. Right. There's a big stigma out there. The word guru gets thrown around a lot and everybody kind of recoils when you say guru. And she wasn't a guru. She was a coach or a mentor. I think everybody should have a mentor. You're going into something that is very expensive. 
there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of stress and you try to do that on your own. I just think that's a horrible idea and maybe not a recipe for disaster, but you're definitely upping the odds of having something disastrous happen. So I think everybody should have a coach or a mentor. Maybe more than one. (laughs) Absolutely. I believe that fully too, because people will have different outlooks, have different experience levels. So I have lots of mentors in my life. I still have people that I call out to when something comes up in the apartment industry. And I've been doing this for a while, but you're always going to learn from other people. But I've got people in my financial life. So yeah, lots of mentors, lots of models, I think, as Tony Robbins called it. But yeah, lean on smarter people than you always. So give us a maybe the reasoning behind the book, kind of your purpose and you know how you're helping others in writing this book, what that's going to tell us. And let's dive into that a little bit. All right. So the book, I felt I had to write it. And I know that sounds probably cheese ball and all that, but I felt I had to write it. I've mentored people in real estate syndications for probably six or seven years now. What I kept noticing is that everybody would get into this or start down this path thinking, oh, this is super simple, right? I understand spreadsheets. And nowadays it seems like everybody's being told, or at least went there themselves that I can only raise about $4 myself. I don't know anybody, but if I do a deal and I bring a hundred people, that's an exaggeration, but multiple people into a GP, we can all raise $4 a piece and then we can go out and do this. So people think it's a lot easier than it is because you'll have people at these traveling road shows at these two day free weekend events or very limited dollars to be paid, but they're just trying to bump you into a coaching program. Again, there's nothing wrong with a coaching program, but they're trying to sell you something. So if somebody's trying to sell you something, they're going to not give you all the warts necessarily. They're going to tell you how great it is and how if you join my program, you're going to be rich tomorrow. I work at 7-Eleven today, but tomorrow I'll be worth $14 billion. That's what they're hearing if they don't say it directly, which they're not going to say that, but that's what they hear on stage. They're going to hear what they want to hear. They're going to get all wrapped up in the hype and the emotion of the event. And they're going to get into something that very, very, very often they should never have done because it takes a special person to do this. And that's what I'm trying to do with the book is pull the curtain back for the price of a book, not a $25,000 program or a $40,000 program, but I'm showing you every step of the way, everybody that you need to work with, when you need to work with them, how to get your deal done once you're under contract. I go through everything, but I've got a lot of stories in there too about how I've lost money. We've had dead people, we've had arson, we've had home invasions. So I want people to understand that this is a great way to make a living, but there's a lot that goes into it and it's a lot harder than most people think. No doubt about it. I've seen it time and time again myself. I just remember it was a big process for me looking for a mentor years ago, but it was a it was a big process. I did not take it lightly. And I'll tell you, you know, you hit on it some there too. I went and traveled to different conferences just to hear different mentors, quote, mentors speak just to get a feel for them and maybe talk to them in person before I handed them any money. Right. And there were numerous that it just felt too salesy. Exactly what you're saying. I'm like, wait, you know, I just don't feel like you have any of my interests in mind here. And so that it made me keep looking until I found someone that I felt was you know, more genuinely concerned about me learning the business and knowing that it's not going to happen overnight. Right. I feel that most of them, I think they're good people, but most of them are transactional. 
they're not very relational, right? So I wanted somebody that I could have a real relationship with my coach or my mentor, not just be one of 40,000 people that signed up for your national program. Again, they're good programs, lots of good education, but it's just, that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody to be kind of in this with me. Yes. So any other myths that maybe help people kind of debunk a little bit getting into this business besides it's not going to happen overnight and it's not as easy as what most people are kind of envision that it's going to be? Well, the biggest myth, I would think, and I don't hear as much of it as I did in the 80s, right? I'm 51. So I remember the Gordon Gecko 80s with Wall Street, but other people's money, zero money, zero credit, that crap doesn't work. Now, having said that, Every once in a while, it'll work. It can work, but it's exceptionally rare. It's really hard. Now, I end up with no money in a deal also, but it's because I bought one with a lot of money down, right? 20 to 30% down, operating capital, rehab dollars, closing costs, all that stuff. But then two to four years down the road, maybe I can do a cash out refi, pull my money out at that point. But it did take a lot of money to get involved at the beginning. So it's the people that are saying no money, no credit, Again, it's not that it can't happen. It's so hard and so rare. That's the biggest myth to me. So it still is out there. It's not as common as it was, but people still believe that a lot. What about just advising others to get started now? You talked about like your mentor said, don't go small, go as big as you possibly can. And I know you probably get as many questions every week that I do just getting started in this business. You know, how do we do that? What does that look like? And from what you know now and looking back on how you got started and you've seen, you've helped many people get into this business and and do it successfully. What do you advise now? Is it obviously finding the mentor, but as far as deal and maybe the part of the business we should focus on and things like that, what should we do? So the number one thing to focus on is money. Everybody always asks me, do I find the deal, then get the money? Do I get the money, then find the deal? Always start with the money. Do not find a deal. If you find a deal with no money, you can't do anything with the deal. And the way you're likely going to structure your first deal, which would be a 506B, I don't know how sophisticated your listeners are if they've done this before to know a 506B. If you file that way with the SEC, you can't send your deal to people you don't know and don't have a pre-existing relationship with. So if I meet somebody today, I can't send them my deal tomorrow. I'm not allowed to. So if you find the deal, then go raise money. Well, almost without exception, you're not going to be allowed to raise that money. So you got to start with money first and you just got to get out there. You got to get past your fears because a lot of people, most of us were taught, don't talk about money, right? That's how we were raised. You got to talk about money, guys. You have to. If I'm going to talk to people at a networking event, and this is where we start our relationship, you know, we're trying to get a feel for each other. An early question for me is going to be, okay, thanks for the interest. I'm very flattered. If I do find a deal that fits what you're looking for, how much are you looking to invest? And a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that. If you don't, how do you know how much you have raised? If you need a million dollars to buy a deal and you've got a hundred people and you think all of them will be good for at least 50 and then it's time to raise the money from them, actually get the money into the business bank account and they all give you $3, well, now you're stuck, right? So that's the biggest thing. Again, raise the money, build a network, build a database, get out and talk with any and everybody you can, let them know what you're doing. And what I tell people also with that respect, everybody says, oh, well, I obviously I'll start with my friends and family. Bad idea. Friends and family are going to tune you out because if they were going to do it, they would have already been doing it. I think you need to go to find people that are already of the mindset that real estate is a good investment class. It fits what I'm looking for. If you try to convert people 
why their 401k IRA, the stock market is not a good idea, it's not going to go well. Where do you suggest, say, finding those people, especially getting started? Someone has no network really to begin from. Well, first, just start with the meetups, right? Every major metropolitan area will have 10, 20, 30 different real estate meetups going on all the time. I started my own meetup, and that's where almost every one of my first investors came from. 2011, it was me and one other guy. We just started meeting at Starbucks every other Wednesday. And that grew from just the two of us to about four years later, we were at three or 400 people. So that's what I did is I'm not the best nut worker, to be honest. If I walk into a room and I don't know anybody in the room, I freeze. I don't know what to do. I get really anxious. My heartbeat starts to raise. That's really tough for me. But by starting a meetup, it was my meetup. They were coming to me. I didn't have to go seek them out. They were coming to me. So when they would come into the meetup, they wouldn't want to come up and introduce themselves. You're seen as kind of an authority figure just by starting it. Even if you're just learning the ropes, you're still the organizer. So they're going to seek you out. So to me, that's the easiest way to do it. But now everybody and their brother has a meetup now. That's fine. You could still start a meetup, even though there's 400 in your city. If you have a different meetup, a unique meetup, and bring value to that meetup, quality will always rise to the top. So if you've got something to say and a different approach and you can bring value, I think start your own meetup. No, I like that idea. And we talked about it on the show and just the value that can happen there for your own business. But I love how you said quality will rise from the top or raise to the top. So get in there and provide value to those people that are there, right? Yeah. Like I wrote the book and everybody's, well, there's hundreds of thousands of books on real estate. Well, if you've got a different message or you have something of value to say and you can communicate well, write the book, start the podcast, start the meetup, do whatever you want to do. Don't let the fact that other people are doing it dissuade you from doing it because you'll never get anywhere that way. For sure. No, I'm a walking testimony of that right there. (laughs) myself. So couldn't agree with you more there. Get out there and make it happen. So now you're starting a meetup. What were some success tips to your meetup? I mean, three to 400 people in a few years, that's pretty successful meetup. And I think you said you raised capital for your first deal out of that meetup. Is that right? Absolutely. So the way it grew, it grew pretty quickly. You know, I just aligned myself with other meetups, other investing groups, and we just let them know that, hey, I'm here at this event with you, but hey, I'm doing my own thing over here on the side no pitch. I'm not selling anything. I'm just, I want to talk about real estate. I'm trying to learn it. I love what I'm learning. So I just like to sit and talk with people. So, you know, I would gather people from all these other events that I went to. And again, it just mushroomed. People would reach out to me, say, Hey, I heard, I never even talked to them. I heard. So that network effect really started to kick in and it grew very quickly. So Bruce, what's been the hardest part of the syndication journey for you? The hardest part, well, let's put it this way. The hardest part for most people is understanding how to be transparent, to get out in front of things that come up because things are going to come up. No matter what you do, something's going to happen. Like I said, I bought a property not expecting to find a dead guy in my pool one day, but I found a dead guy in my pool one day. That's not easy. That's probably the most difficult thing for most people is to deal with being transparent, being a stand-up person, communicating, even when it's not fun to communicate. So the hardest thing for me, though, like I said, just a very specific thing, I hit on it. The hardest thing for me was networking, honestly. Started my own meetup, but that's kind of the reason I started my own meetup, because I don't know how to go work a room. If I go to somebody else's real estate function, again, I'll stand in the back of the room knowing I need to talk to all these people because I need money to do a deal, 
but I can't make myself do it. I kind of freak out and I just turn around and walk out the door. So for me, it was trying to get over that fear of talking to others. I could stand on a stage in front of 10,000 people perfectly at home there, but you put me in a room with people I don't know when I got to do the small talk one-on-one speed dating thing. Oh my Lord, I suck at that. But my wife is really good at that. So I just follow my wife around the room. You know, so I identified a huge weakness of mine and I didn't try to change it because it's just not who I am. I just found somebody that had the skill that I didn't have. Luckily, it was my my partner. So we just tag team around a room together. Tell me about just in this business, you've got a lot of experience now and over many years. I was asking on the show how somebody prepares for a downturn or potential downturn. So now that all this has happened with pandemic and stuff, can you elaborate a little bit on like how you were prepared for something like this or maybe moving forward, how maybe it's changed even how you operate a little bit or how we should be thinking about properties now that all this has happened? Well, I think the biggest thing is stress test the hell out of a property. You should always stress test a property. People start falling into the misconception too that, oh, well, it's real estate. Rents always go up. No, they don't. Rents go down fairly regularly. Now, it might be every five or 10 years, maybe even 15 years, but eventually you're going to have another market trough where rents will go backwards. You better stress test your property. And I don't think everybody does this, but I know it's fairly common that people don't raise enough money. They think, I got to buy a property with the down payment and the closing costs. I need 25% of the purchase price. Well, that's not nearly enough. You need an emergency fund, just like in your personal life, you need an emergency fund. So one thing that I've learned, we had ample reserves, but now I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm still going to take them up even higher than I had them before. My reserve threshold has always been one month's expenses, including debt service for every property. I'm thinking about going to one and a half to two times that. So one and a half to two months of reserves on hand to make sure I can pay my bills. So I think that's the biggest thing that's come from that. And with this market downturn, and I've been saying this for years, that when the market corrects now, this black swan event, this is kind of a unique correction that it's not typical, but always put money back into your property. Don't bleed your property of all the profit, pull it all out, put it in your pocket, go buy a nice Rolex watch or whatever you're going to do. Don't do that stuff. In an up market, you have to be putting money back in the property because things are going to change at some point. But then also we're huge on community. We have our own management company. So we have a lot of control over our investments and we're huge on reviews and community. I've talked to some people that, oh, Bruce, you know, you can make a lot of money being a slumlord. Shut up. Just get away from me. That is of no interest to me at all. And I stop talking to those people. I'll walk away in the middle of the conversation because the slumlord is really struggling right now because you treated people like crap for the five to 10 years of flush times that you had. And now when you might need a little bit of understanding and residents to maybe work with you a little bit, they're not going to, they're going to leave you or they're going to dig in and not pay you anything, even though they can, because they know that you probably can't evict them no matter what for a little while. So treat people like human beings, really look after your residents and be looking for those reviews because everybody's looking for reviews. If I've got a place side by side, one's got a four-star review, one's got a one, I'm going to go run to the four-star review place, even if it's a little more expensive. So again, just think about everything in the good times that bad times will come and you need to be prepared. What's a, a way that you've recently improved your business that we could also apply to our syndication business? 
So I guess the most obvious thing, we just implemented an investor portal, right? So we're talking about the syndication business, not the apartments, but we started up with InvestNext and it made it a lot easier for us. So now everything that we do gets posted into the, the portal. We make payments out of the portal for our distributions. We raise money. It goes through the portal. It's a one-stop shop. If you're invested in two, three, four, five deals with us, well, all of your deals are right there on that one portal. You can see all of your return metrics. You can see everything. So that's been the biggest thing. But that honestly, that comes with scale. Because if you have a 24 unit for your first deal, you can't afford to pay somebody 1500 bucks a month to have a portal. It's expensive. But when you do get scale, it makes things a whole lot better and easier. When I first started, I was doing everything Gmail. Gmail is fine for some things. But now we have a full-fledged CRM on top of InvestNext. InvestNext has their own CRM, but we also use Active Campaign. So we've digitized most everything. We've automated most everything. We're set up with DocuSign. And so it's a lot of technology that has made a big difference for us. Nice. We also use InvestNext. I can't recommend them enough. Give them a little plug here. And just so listeners know, in case you haven't heard, you can go to our website, lifebridgecapital.com. There's a recommendations page and I actually have a link there where you can get more information about InvestNext. So I'm glad you brought them up. They're great guys. They've been super helpful to us as well. So what's your best source of meeting new investors now? This really, I wrote a book, right? So that that's a big deal, but not everybody's going to write a book because a lot of people are starting out on this. So you don't have a lot of knowledge, but it was writing the book and going, showing up on everybody's podcast. I think you've got a pretty good reach, but even if you're a brand new podcast and I'm going to be your first guest, I just like talking about this stuff. And the more people I can get out there and talk to about this, the more people are going to know me. My job at the end of the day is to deliver returns to investors. Yes, but it's really raising money. That's my job. I am a professional money raiser. You know, this is my cheese ball line. I can make a lot of people a lot of money, but if I can't raise any money, I can't make any money for anybody, right? So I just got to get myself out there. So I do every podcast that comes up. Glad to do it. Again, it's fun, but I just stay engaged and I go to other people's meetups. I have my own meetup. I started a second one. We're kind of in lockdown right now, maybe until July or August, but yeah, just stay active constantly. How do you stand out amongst all the other operators in the industry? Well, again, I think I put my tenants, well, what I really do is I put my employees first, right? Again, I have a management company, so maybe it's a little unfair in that respect, but I put my employees first. They are more important than anybody, including my residents, right? It's a Herb Kelleher thing from Southwest Airlines. Make them the most important people in my world, and they will take that down to the residents. So that's the biggest thing right there. We kill ourselves to help them with a balanced lifestyle. We have floating days off. Basically, what we've done, and we're going to grow from here, but right now, anybody that works for us, they're all full-time. They all have full benefits, but you get two days off a week. Once a month, everybody gets a floating day off, and they can take it whenever they choose, right? So if I wake up this morning and I think, I'm having a bad hair day. I don't want to go to work. Call your boss as long as nobody else is claimed that day, so to speak, and there's no big major project going on, then just don't go to work. So that's an extra 12 days off that somebody gets. Now, if you don't use it in that month, you don't get to carry it forward and bank these things. But again, I just gave you another two and a half weeks off on top of their already two to four weeks of vacation time. So we're working toward a four-day work week. And COVID-19 is showing us that, you know, that's probably very doable. 
So again, we're doing a lot of things that a lot of people would think, yeah, that's ridiculous. No, you can't do that. You can't justify. Yes, I can because people want to work for us. They don't want to leave us because they know we have their back and we're always in this looking out for them. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I honestly think it's a willingness to give back and help anybody with anything. I'll help anybody. I had a guy talk to me one day on a conference call. Didn't know he was recording me at the time, but he was. He said, Bruce, look, you just gave me 35 minutes of your time or 25, whatever it was. Yeah. I said, you wanted to have a conversation. I'm glad to have a conversation. Well, you just helped me with all kinds of stuff. You gave me actionable ideas and for nothing. Why do you do that? It's like, because if I give to you, it doesn't take from me. I feel it makes me stronger and better because eventually somebody's going to have a question. I, who do you know for Bruce can probably help you with that. So it's the whole karma thing. I'm always trying to help other people. And then selfishly, I want to help as many people as I can have the life that I have because the more people that have the life I have, the more cool people I get to run around and play with. I don't have to go to work 40 to 60 hours a week and punch a time card and sit in a cubicle all day. And I want more people to have that same lifestyle. So when we go to Park City for one or two months in every summer, I can bring other friends along with me. So that's it. I want to help everybody I can and not ask anything in return. Awesome. And I usually always ask too how people like to give back. And I think you answered that very well. If there's anything you'd like to add to that, please do. But also tell people how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you and your book. So apartmentguy.com, right? So it's apt-guy.com. The landing page will be all about the book. It'll give you some insight into what it's really about. Again, it's just pulling back the curtain on what syndication really is and all the steps involved. And if you want to do it after you read the book, great. If you don't, that's good too, because maybe I saved you from making a ten dollars to $20,000 mistake. So the website is a good one. Then Instagram and LinkedIn, just look for apt.guy or the apartment guy. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.